0: Colborn with exploring unexplained phenomena. Mr. Jim Shorty. Hey Jim. Good morning. How's your week been?
1: Well, I'm upright and walking around, feeling good, going to work, having fun. What more can you ask for?
0: How about kind of a weather update? What are we? How about a weather
1: today? update? That's 40 degrees right now with a high project of 59. Sunny skies. Just a beautiful day in Lincoln, Nebraska. So get out and enjoy it. After our show is over.
0: Because.
1: Monday, Tuesday, and maybe Wednesday, we have snow predicted <laughs> again. Uh, don't you love it? So yeah, get out there while you can. Uh, winter hasn't quite left us yet.
0: Yeah, I think I think the Rockies weather has just taken up residence here. You know, this is the sort of thing that that we can. Uh, we can get 60 degrees today and get snow Monday. Well,
1: yeah, and it's an interesting weather pattern, but th- that's that's what happens. Weather patterns change and vary over the years. And I can remember when we would have these uh, one- or two-week frigid cold spells in January and February, and it would be just miserable. And well, people up in Canada and Minnesota right now are going, oh, what are you talking about? You
0: guys are wimps. Ken Dewey uh, posted a couple of days ago on Facebook that... Um, our snowfall totals, uh, compared to last year, we're way behind. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got maybe 15, 16 inches. Last year we had, I think, um, over 30. So, yeah, we're way behind. Well, I think Kent
1: also said that no two winners are the same, so you can't, you can't say what's going to happen next year from what happened this year.
0: We'd like to remind you folks that we're in the middle of a KZM birthday bash. It's mm-hmm. a fun drive. Uh, we have topped out about $35,000. We've got $40,000 as the goal. It's clearly in sight. It's just down the, the hall just a little bit. And uh, if folks that haven't donated did so, bingo, we would make that just immediately. So there's two ways to do this. You can call us at 402-474-5086, or you can go online, kzum.org. And we'd love to have all those folks that listen to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena that haven't uh, put their money where their ears have been to do so at this time. And there's never been a better time to do this. Join your neighbors who've done so. Uh, I've made my donation, and uh, I'm already drinking the coffee from the mill that I've got. So um, join us, won't you? Become part of the family. 402 474 5086. Or online kzum.org and uh, if everybody gave a little boy we'd get that five thousand bucks covered just immediately
1: every little bit helps
0: uh, next up is uh, Charlene with the Capital Humane Society and uh, the Capital Humane Society is in Lincoln Nebraska we talk about dogs and cats for adoption and this is called pet talk hi Charlene
2: hi how are you
0: Thanks for asking. I'm doing very well. And uh, what are special activities going on at the Capital Humane Society?
2: Uh, We are ready for adoptions, that's our biggest activity, so we'll be opening our doors at 11 o'clock today and we've got great animals looking for homes. Um, We will be starting up our basic dog obedience classes, so if anyone's interested in signing up, those will start next week and you can get more information on our website at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Again, if you're interested in helping your dog to learn polite behaviors.
0: Uh, you can find out more on the website, Society.org, including um, March 11th, an event coming up that says Crafts for Cats at Cosmic Eye Brewing. So read more at capitalhumanesociety.org. Cats for adoption, who do you want to start with? We
2: will start with uh, Jewel. Whoa. And Jewel is very pretty. She, she is. is a declawed cat, uh, so she wants to have a nice, safe, indoor-only home. I think I see some Siamese in there. She has medium-length fur, about five years old, a little bit shy. So when you come in, she might be hiding, but for the right person, she'll come out and purr and be happy.
1: Well, my eyes went straight to her when I pulled up that page. She is beautiful.
2: She is
1: kind of almost uh, you, i'd almost call it a coffee and cream but it would be a real light coffee uh whites and browns and uh, uh tabby markings on the forehead looks like beautiful light blue eyes
2: yep exactly just wow. a really sweet cat and a very pretty cat
0: so if you go folks to capitalhumanesociety.org and click on cats and kittens for adoption scroll down you'll see the picture of jewel click on her picture on that thumbnail, and there's more information that pops up. Jewel has got a buddy that I bet you folks would like to hear about. Jewel's buddy is...
2: Kitty. And Kitty is a four-year-old, stayed female, all black, domestic, short hair, very nice cat. Looks, looking for a very nice family. Uh, she's just quick to come up and say hello and trust you and wants very much to be your charming
1: sidekick. It's a good generic name. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, beautiful black cat. And look at that tail in the shape of a question mark there. Just going to say yeah. the same thing.
0: Okay, Jewel and her buddy, Kitty. Two cats are better than one, Jewel Kitty or?
2: Oz. And Oz is very handsome with his summer cut. So he is about two years old, a neutered male. He is a domestic long hair, but we needed to give him a little trim. So he currently just has long hair on his legs and tail. (laughs) Doesn't look real happy
1: about it, does he?
2: (laughs) (laughs) He feels better, and his fur will grow back long and soft. Um, So he can be a little bit shy, so he may be one of those that is hiding when you stop in. Um, But he will come out and pose and be very handsome for you if you ask specifically for him.
1: Pretty cat, mostly white Mm -hmm. with some some black or dark markings on the top of the head around the ears.
0: With the ears and facial expression, Sura looks like Yoda.
2: Yeah,
1: uh-huh. Well,
0: Jewel's, I was thinking grumpy cat, but
1: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, should, should note that, that does not mean the cat is grumpy. That's just the way their face looks.
0: Jewel, Kitty, and Oz, take a look at their pictures at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Better yet, here's Charlene with hours open.
2: We will be open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center today and tomorrow from 11 to 530
0: and um the proverbial question is who let the dogs out so let's talk about some dogs for adoption
2: we will start with darby darby's got an intense look on his face there he's very excited about that treat he's very excited about life He is a four-year-old Blue healer mix. They are very intelligent, high-energy dogs, so he is looking for a family that understands his breed and will provide him with that exercise that he needs. Um, He's super smart, so he will learn new commands quickly with uh, rewards for his treats. And they do tend to be the boss, and he is no exception, so we do want him to meet other dogs to make sure that um, it's a good fit for your family.
0: The very first uh, VCR tape, this is going back many, many years, the very first VCR tape of a movie that I ever bought was Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And uh, it's, it's such a classic, classic movie. So I've always had a fondness for that name, Darby. So take a look at picture, the picture of Darby, capitalhumanesociety.org, dogs for adoption. Click on that thumbnail. And, boy, he's looking right at you, folks. Look at him, that intense stare. Okay, so let's talk about a second dog.
2: We'll talk about Alex. And Alex has a beautiful picture. It shows that he has the one blue eye and one brown eye. He's a husky, about 50 pounds, two years old, uh, mostly white. Uh, Looking for a family that, again, understands the husky breed, that he needs a lot of exercise to be happy. He can uh, be a little vocal, so he's looking for a family that understands that as well. Um, And he does have a special diet, so we would need the uh, adopter to be willing to continue that special diet so that he feels good. And you can get more information uh, when you meet Alex at the Pylock Pet Adoption Center.
0: Uh, and another dog that is just staring intently at the treat and or the camera take a look at alex's picture handsome dog so you're batting a thousand in my book so far charlene who's our third dog
2: samson and samson is a great pyrenees about 92 pounds a very gentle giant about four years old looking for a home with people who understand the needs of a large breed dog. Um, he is calm and good on a leash, um, but he is a very big dog. Um, he does need some training still, um, so he's looking for a family that knows how to bring out the best in a great Pyrenees.
0: What a happy dog, Jim. Look at that picture of of Samson there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Looks like
1: uh, uh, kind of a I don't know frosty the snowman kind of look
0: great uh, great facial expression so yeah. we got darby alex and sampson uh pictures are up at dot org, or better yet go out and see them here's charlene with hours open
2: please visit us at our pylock pet adoption center open on saturday and sunday from 11 to 5 30.
0: so jim as a reminder help help remind me here uh, charlene can't be with us next week Okay. Uh, because next week is the 29th. It's a leap year, and I think she goes into an alternate dimension on leap years and then comes back. So. <laughs> oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so she won't be here next week. but bring she'll us, have, uh, Bring us back souvenirs. She, yep, she'll have some <laughs> leap day um, memories to share yeah. when we talk to her. So uh, enjoy, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.
2: That sounds great. Thank you so much.
0: Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or cat and uh, I'm only half kidding she's really not going away into mm-hmm. another dimension I th- I don't think she is really is, um, she, is she I'm uh, sure she's
1: going somewhere to have some fun
0: we started the rumor now yeah <laughs> you know I, I will always think about talking about the the rumors and and pop culture and how things get started mm-hmm. my buddy Lon Nansel was helping put on one of the exploring unexplained phenomena conferences yeah and we were going to have somebody talking about the men in black so what he did he dressed head to foot just exactly like a a man in black (laughs) he had the suit the tie the white shirt the uh short hair he had the wrap around black sunglasses and right as the presenter was starting he lawn marched down right to the front row and turned around and looked And then sat right in the front row.
1: Oh, that's cool! And we
0: just hooted and hollered, and we laughed and clapped. (laughs) We all got got into it. Uh,
1: What a fun moment!
0: And so then the legend began, and for years people were talking about, "Oh, did you hear about that conference at Lincoln? That there was an actual appearance by a man in black." (laughs) Well, there really
3: was.
1: There really was, but (laughs) A.K.A. Lon. (laughs) A.K.A. Lon. That explains a lot, actually. Lon is. A frequent caller, he doesn't go on the air a lot, but he calls to say hi and uh, happy birthday and stuff like that. So we're we're glad you're out there, Lon.
0: Yep, we appreciate so many people that listen like that. And uh, if you're a longtime listener and you haven't made a donation uh, during this fund drive, uh, the guy across the street won't do it. And the people that uh, you won't talk to till Monday, maybe at work, they won't do it. So it's really up to you folks that are listening. Um, and Jim and I feel that, you know, if this is something that you listen to uh, week after week and that you benefit from, um, really do, out of the generosity of your heart, step forward and support it with a donation. Uh, I will guarantee that it's gonna make you feel great to know that you've really stood up and were counted for the radio show as well as the, uh, the radio station. 42 years for kzum being on air and uh there is no other radio station that i can think of that would allow me this frivolity that i engage in every saturday morning what was the word that carolyn used in the in the song oh um i just used frivolity <laughs> i i've drawn a blank now jeez okay, i'm sorry jim it'll it'll come to you i'm sure
1: it, it'll, it'll come to me
0: But we we have a lot of fun here, and KZUM um, allows us to do that, so Mm -hmm. do make a donation. Uh, Joining us now is Brent Rains. Brent uh, has a a brand-new book out on John Keel to better understand who he was as well as his impact on so many people. Brent is the editor and publisher of an excellent online magazine, Alternate Perceptions, and you can sign up for that free of charge at apmagazine.info. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Brent Rains to the mix. Hi, Brent.
3: Hey. Hey, Scott. Good to talk with you again.
0: This weather oh, pattern is so strange. What's Tennessee like now?
3: Well, right now it's cold, but you look out the window and blue sky and sunshine and it's uh, supposed to get up to about 51 degrees. <laughs>
0: Really Jim
3: but we did we did have some snow and and a lot of rain and uh down the Tennessee River from us, uh, about thirty miles, there was a, a couple of houses that had a mudslide, and now it's there's oh, a wow. country road right behind where the houses were and there it's 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 uh ruined that road too, uh, and wow. the two houses, uh, one of them went all the way, I think down into the Tennessee mm-hmm. River, and the other one just almost there, just crumbled them up uh. And that's rare for us to have mudslides, but there's been, you know, quite a bit of rain too. This so is so, what
0: we're I- so interesting, topsy turvy, because you're you're way south of us, and yet we're going to hit almost sixty degrees today.
3: Mhm. Yeah, we've had some strange weather, and uh, not, you know, hardly any snow here. Um, we got a little, little bit uh, a couple days ago, but it hasn't, you know, wasn't enough to really last now over around the Smoky Mountains, over that mm-hmm. way in East Tennessee, they, they had maybe a inch and a half or so. But, you know, nothing
0: nothing too major. Brent, as the publisher of AP Magazine, uh, Alternate Perceptions Magazine, uh, you see so many things across your desk each month. Um, give us a sampling of maybe what people either can look forward to in the newsletter, the magazine itself, uh, or something that's just, just You've been made aware of that you're really interested in.
3: Well, I'm going to tell you. I uh, I just interviewed a gentleman uh, on the 16th just recently, who's going to be in the uh, next issue, the March issue of Alternate Perceptions, uh, which will come out on the first. And uh, his name is Tom Dongo. He lives out around sure. Sedona, Arizona. hmm And I'm sure you that you recognize that name. He's. Uh, you might have even met him. He's uh, been a tour guide for years out there. He's been into the UFO uh, scene for about 40 years. And um, an excellent book that he wrote, Merging Dimensions, with a lot of photographs, very strange uh, photographs of strange lights and even sometimes uh, people that they didn't see when they took the picture, um, appear in these, you know, the photographs. And uh, it's um, I became aware of them years ago. Uh, back like in the 80s, 90s, a, a magazine published out in Washington State called The Missing Link, uh, which was uh, part of a um, alien uh, UFO contactee support group uh, known as the UFO Contact Center International. And uh, he used to have a, uh, a monthly column quite often that appeared in in that magazine. Yeah. Always, always intrigued by all the the information that he that he had, and uh, he claims now to this date he's just turned 75 on the 19th, but he's still as active as ever. Got uh recently posted some pictures of him on a, on a bicycle. Uh, you know, he likes to go riding, uh, at high speed. And, um, you know, uh he's, uh, led quite a life. He claims to have had about 400 personal UFO sightings or encounters. Um, a lot of times with witnesses present most of the time, he says. And, uh, He's met a lot of interesting interesting people in the field. He uh, was even telling, uh, and this will be, as I say, in the interview, uh, it's an audio interview at uh, about two hours, and uh, he was uh, telling a story about a, an Air Force lieutenant colonel that used to work with uh, Ingo Swan and, and Russell Targ back in the early days of the remote viewing work that, that they were doing. And... Uh, claimed that uh, he was at a restroom in, 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 in Denver area, uh, Colorado, uh, with him a couple of years ago. And um, he was telling them that he was often followed by the CIA. And, uh, and there was a couple of strange characters that uh, they spotted that had like a, a cell phone that they were aiming at, toward their table. And as soon as they started talking about it, uh, they kind of acted like they were upset and, and got up and walked off. Um, so he really felt that the guy was under surveillance, and uh, he told him a story. And this this happened again in a in a restaurant. Him and his wife, uh, this lieutenant colonel, and uh, claimed that. Uh, and I've heard this kind of thing before from others. Um, everything in the restaurant suddenly it was like everybody was still, like uh, freeze frame. Uh, Tom called it, and uh, and this three-foot-tall gray being walked in the front door, Well, wow. walked past everybody, walked up to his table, and looked right into his kind of bent over the table, looked up into this uh, guy's eyes, and uh, then he just went poof <laughs> and was gone. And so maybe that's why the CIA follows him around, <laughs> because he keeps some strange company there.
0: Jim, but, uh, whenever whenever i'm in any place and it goes into a freeze frame the old scooby doo <laughs> excuse me the old scooby doo phrase ruh oh comes to mind <laughs> i don't
3: know well i back in the 70s i first heard about this when i was when i was in the navy and there was a fellow um, uh, naval person who had shared us you know some early experiences he had and one of them was Where um, he and his family, his mom was, and uh, I guess his brother were moving from this house in Florida, and uh, you know he was remembered something in the house that he had forgotten to pack, and he was going back, and uh, as he was running back to the station wagon, uh, suddenly everything just around him stopped and froze, and this uh, luminous patch appeared nearby, and there was this alien being inside it. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, he was there for a moment, then he was gone, and then everything went back to normal, and he was back to running again, you know. So I've heard of, you know, similar stories. Um, He was even telling about um, this uh, one area called Boynton Canyon where there had been a number of reports uh, where these flying discs would appear at treetop level and they would fly up into the canyon. These were seen by many people. And uh, when you get up in the canyon, there's like this big cliff that's like 100 yards high. And the UFO, the disk, would just kind of float into it, into the solid canyon rock like it was a cloud. And uh, he said they've had a quite a number of, of those instances in Sedona. And uh, I was really interested in that because I've heard... That sort of thing before it was a real credible witness uh, who, an American uh, uh, archaeologist who had lived long quite a quite a number of years down in uh, in Brazil and she was telling about uh, how she was out it was in the daytime and she was in this little valley and there was a little stream nearby and up on the hill uh, to her right there was this Cylindrical craft looked like it had windows in it, and it was going into the hillside, just sliding into a solid hillside again, like it was just a cloud. So, uh, I, you know, I'm intrigued by this high, these high strangeness cases, of course.
0: Well, as you should um, be. That's that's so interesting. It, it brings to mind the Charles um, Hall story. When he was a weather observer uh, just north of Indian Springs, Nevada, on some remote um, parts of that, that restricted uh, reservation, uh, he would occasionally see these craft that would look like they would fly into the side of a mountain. Wow! Hmm, okay, I didn't know
3: that. I didn't know that. He also. Um, uh, said that 25 years ago, uh, Berkeley, there was a professor who contacted him, and uh, wired him to spend two weeks, uh, all expenses paid, um, to uh, you know, test out his psychic abilities. The guy wanted to use a lot of hypnosis on him, and he wasn't really crazy about being hypnotized, so he, he declined that. Um, but uh, he did say that recently that there was a former Stanford professor... Uh, who had read a copy of his *Merging Dimensions* and said he's gotten a lot of photographs of things that are very similar to what was in the book. And Tom told him that I uh, said it's not the camera; it's the person behind the camera that creates these ultra strange photographs. And the professor said, "Well, you're you're partially right," and told him how he, some of the pictures he captured, he had the lens cap on the camera at the time, and he still got these anomalies.
0: Oh, geez. And uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> You know, that makes me think of Boptography, you know, the Ted Sirius case that Dr. but Eisenbud yeah. studied. He wrote, wrote a book called The World of Ted Sirius. And uh, so anyway, he's given me his phone number and address, so I'm going to see if the guy will talk to me about uh, this. And so maybe have has a little extra to add in the next show that we do, hopefully.
0: Jim, our friend Brent is supposedly retired. It doesn't sound like he's retired at all. Sounds busier than I am. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that's you know, exciting. Now that,
3: now that I'm retired, i got more time to pursue
1: these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm getting tired just listening to
0: you. Uh, this is so intriguing. Um, folks, if you've enjoyed some of these uh, anecdotes, these stories, you can subscribe to Alternate Perceptions magazine. It's very easy. Type into your favorite browser, apmagazine.info, and uh, you can sign up free of charge. So uh, years ago, I uh, was at a friend's house on Euclid, and uh, that was a short street. My friend Bruce Cudley lived over there. And uh, I didn't know, because sometimes we don't know about this stuff until uh, happenstance, I didn't know that directly across the street, as I'm over there visiting my friend Bruce Cudley, a woman whose name is Vicky was having these uh, extraordinary experiences, contact with these sentient beings. And it was happening right across the street from where I was visiting my friend. Um, she was out one time as a little girl playing with friends and uh, she happened to walk by the open garage and she looked in and there was this little old man that sort of looked like a, uh, a little elf, if you will and uh, he beckoned her to come in the garage. And so she did, and the next thing that she knew, she was waking up and she was inside the house, uh, inside one of the closets, clear in the back of the closet. And when she emerged, her family was frantic. They'd been looking for her all over the place and asking her, you know, why did you hide in the closet? didn't you know that we were looking for you and we would be concerned mm. she had no memory it went from being in the garage with that little elf guy to waking up in the back of the closet wow mm that's that's
3: that's intriguing and elements of it uh, so familiar on different levels you know <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. do uh, do well. you ever feel Brent that that when you look at this uh the range of phenomena that you do does any of this ever come home with you do you ever experience anything that's uh, unusual happening in and around you and your wife and in your house
3: uh yeah from time to time and and, uh um my daughter is, is kind of like the family ghost whisperer i mean she's had so many experiences and uh you know, in the beginning, as a child, you know, I thought, well, maybe these just temporary, psychological-based imaginary, you know, friends. Um, but it's it's continued on, and she's uh, a mature adult, holds responsible, you know, jobs, has a family, and uh, still continues to, from time to time, experience some really high strangeness. And we were doing, you know, EVPs here at the house one time, and. Uh, a few years back and it uh, was pretty common at that time and she came up to the house and knocked on the front door and uh, she thought one of us was inside the house playing with her because she'd knock on the door anybody home and then the voice inside would say hello and she say yes can i come in And the voice would go hello and this went on for a while and, and then finally you know she realized that they're not opening the door you know <laughs> the door's still locked so she went you know she left and then uh later we come home you know they, there was nobody in the house um you know can't explain that one
0: mm-hmm. you'll see in my, my facebook page that i yesterday posted a memory of my daughter uh and being out with a group of people at a restaurant and and what she saw so brent we've got to I'll let you go here so it's always interesting and uh, I hope that, uh, that the news stays on one side and Mr. and Ms. Curiosity stays on the other side. So I uh, look forward to more with AP Magazine.
3: All right. Well, thank you so much.
0: And so before I, before, you, you before we cut it. you loose, too, you've got a speaking presentation coming up with your John Keel book. When's that going to be?
3: Uh, That's going to be Sunday, um, March 22nd, up in Nashville at uh, Bellevue uh, Branch Library. And uh, it's going to be from 2.30 to 4.30 in the afternoon.
0: Anybody down that area, this is going to be an incredible uh, lecture, so be sure and attend that. And are you going to have information posted at apmagazine.info?
3: Uh, yes, it'll, uh, it'll be there. I'll, uh, I'll put some mention um, maybe in my column, Reality Checking. And uh, it's going to, um, let's see, it's sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Science and a local branch. And uh, also I'm going to be posting a, uh, a video interview I just, I just did in Nashville with a Tony Pratt that's about, uh, about an hour long and it's really, really turned out good
0: always good to talk with you my friend thank you Brent and have a great rest of weekend
3: all right you too Scott thank you so much you take care
0: we'll be right back with our main guest Dr. Lynn Ketai, and this is the 42nd birthday bash for KZM radio uh the station is counting on you I am counting on you and the rest of the folks that have already donated they're counting on you do your part pull your weight and make a donation, 402 474 5086, or very conveniently online at kzwim.org. And uh, we thank all the folks that have given donations um, during the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena radio show. We appreciate that very much. And we are about um, 35,000 towards a goal of 40,000 for the radio station. So. Um, I always say that you know through the magic of of this connection that we've got. Uh, if I was able to say the right words that open that key within each one of you, that's about um, responsibility, gratitude, a shared commitment, staying the course, being part of the the family. Um, Knowing that what you're doing is really is right. If I, could, if I could do that and you folks responded, there are thousands of people listening right now and we could easily erase this $5,000 uh, remaining part of the goal just in a matter of uh, an hour or less. So some of those folks um, are going to be hip. Some of those folks aren't and uh, it's up to you folks so if you if you consider yourself hip <laughs> as i as i believe you are um please do give a donation to kz Web. we sure appreciate that and uh yeah i'm a hippie yeah that's right i'm hip you can be a hip and hippie uh, as well so 402 474 5086 or online at kzm.org Nothing wrong with peace and love and music and in our case, good conversation. I'm Scott Colborn. This is Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And we're doing our best to get our main guest uh, on the phone. Uh, We've had a little bit of some phone difficulties here. And so my producer's out there attempting to get uh, our main guest on. Next week's guest on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena is James Willis, and we're going to talk about a book that he has just re released uh, that is very timely Faith, Trust, and Belief, a trilogy of the Spirit. I am sipping my uh, French roast, and oh, yes, how sweet it is. Weird fall stuff today. Um, so, Jim just walked in, our producer. And, Jim, um, the show, of course, is exploring unexplained phenomena. Yes, it is. We sometimes have a, quote-unquote, ghost in the machine. We, we do. <laughs> and so, you were saying that we've got kind of a weird yeah, phone. Yeah, we, we've phone.
1: Had, some, had some weird phone stuff going on today, and uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure where it's going on. But, anyway, we have our guest on the line.
0: Okay. Uh, with us is Dr. Lynn Keitai. And uh, Dr. Ketai, am I pronouncing your last name correctly?
4: You are. Hooray. (laughs) That's why I usually call your Dr. Lynn, but it's pronounced like a key and a tie.
0: So So thank you for that. Right up front, I want to tell you how much I admire you. And um, I hope that you hear that not only from me but from other people for the work that you've done over the years in a way that's unflinching. Helping people to find the truth about a series of events—the big one was the the uh, March 13th, 1997 flyover in Phoenix—but there are other stuff going on too. And you you put a lot of yourself on the line, didn't you?
4: Well, I really appreciate you, you acknowledging that because. Uh, Actually, yes. I mean, I I needed to do this as a scientist. I'm a medical doctor, and as a physician, I needed to let people know once I educated myself, because I knew nothing about this topic until my husband is also a physician and a healthy skeptic, as I am, had a very close sighting to our home, which we can get into two years before the Mm -hmm. mass sighting, and I happened to get mm 35-millimeter photographs of these strange orbs that to this day cannot be explained or are denied by military university, optical physicists, and experts who have analyzed all my 35 millimeter. But um, as a physician, I certainly, once I knew what was going on, even though most anomalies can be explained, only a small percentage cannot, just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. And I also wanted people to know once they have a paranormal experience, not only aren't they alone, but that it festers if you don't share it. And certainly, I understood that as an experiencer myself. And just sharing with one person, I always suggest to people, if you want to go on to the Phoenix Lights Network website and contact me from there or the Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page and message me from there um, just sharing with one person is healing and cathartic mm-hmm. and then certainly as an experiencer I knew what it felt like to have uh, a paranormal experience actually several of them and then as an educator uh, for over 40 years I've dedicated my life's work ironically enough, to community education of vital health issues. I have programs such as AIDS and teen pregnancy and substance abuse prevention education for the classroom. Discovery education has been distributing them for a couple decades now. and also work with USA Cable and uh, uh, NBC in the in the early 80s um, to disseminate uh, the, uh, the truth about um, vital health issues. And then this fell in my lap, uh, literally and figuratively, uh, in 95, and I knew nothing about the topic at all. But then what really got me, which uh, as the story unfolds, it's really fascinating because um, in good conscience, after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing, for, for two years and I'll get into the details if you like um, I pushed my whole medical career aside for mm-hmm. seven years uh, searching meticulously for a logical explanation for what I witnessed and photographed and I have yet to find it mm-hmm. so 23 years later what what I did discover was a whole new world that I had no idea existed and a 750 page journal later that in good conscience, As a scientist, as a physician, as an experiencer, and certainly as an educator, how could I not share this material? It was so compelling and so credible that I condensed the best of what I had found throughout that seven years and the first edition of the book, The Phoenix Lights, a skeptic's discovery that we are not alone was published in 2004 once that happened all hell broke loose and i haven't looked back and here we are 23 years uh later and uh after the mass sighting and um it's a joy i have to tell you to meet so many people who are not only becoming more and more open to these uh anomalous phenomena but that actually look at the data if i can be a credible voice scott so that people actually look at the data then I've done my job and that's the most important thing it's not about me it's about the data and uh certainly now with the book and we have a documentary as well um that actually we're going to be showing we have a yearly um event at the Scottsdale Harkin Chase Theater uh it, it's a community event for for everyone 90% are just regular people that come to see the movie, and then we have speakers and a q and a to to not only keep it alive but to help educate uh the public because mm-hmm. they don't have a place to go and certainly, I've been involved with MUFON and we can get into that from day one by the way, from the day after the mass sighting serendipitously um but going back if I may to two months before the mass sighting, and this is where it really gets interesting because after the closed 95 sighting, and I, I, I always go back to that sighting, Scott, because it well, was Lynn, close. If I mean, let's, we're talking let's right this. outside our bedroom window. I'm let's
0: sorry? Let's do this. Let's start with the 1995 personal experience. And there's a lot of folks that have heard the buzzword Phoenix Lights, but a lot of people have not heard the details. So I want you to treat oh, yeah. people like and let me tell you something, like Scott. There is timers. so much
4: mis- and disinformation out there. That that was another thing that prompted me to come forward, just yep. to set the record straight. People can decide what they want about it, but, I mean, it is so frustrating that there was so much, to, to, to this day, mis- and disinformation. But at any rate, going back to 95, um, as I mentioned, I always go back there because this was close and it was an experience. Um it was the night before my birthday, it was my birthday eve, another little coincidence. Um my husband was standing at a window. One wall of our bedroom is a window and we're pretty high on a mountain mm-hmm. that surrounds the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix and our view to the south is a panoramic view of the city skyline so we know what cars and lights and street lights and plane lights and helicopters lights look like and if anyone is interested in going to the phoenix lights network website the phoenixlights.net usually comes up in the first handful if you just google phoenix lights and go to the phoenix lights photo page the photo page and they'll see the topography which which is interesting in and of itself when we are looking towards uh, the south, we actually see two mountain ranges behind uh, Sky Harbor International Airport. And I'll get back to that because something very serendipitous happened six months before the mass sighting. But getting back to February 6th, um, I was in a bath in an in adjacent room. My husband was actually on the phone with my mother-in-law back east in Philadelphia where I was born and raised to wish me a happy birthday. And he was on several state and medical boards at the time. Nothing ever ruffled his feathers. But he sounded alarmed and he said, get over here quick. What the hell is that? And I grabbed the cow tail, ringing wet, ran to the window and a little below us. And and keep in mind, we're kind of nestled in the mountain range here, and it's also gated. It's a private gated community. So there is no way, and I underline, underline, underline that this was military. But right in front of our eyes, a little below is our very treacherous desert landscape with three amber orbs, one on top and two closely aligned underneath, about 50, 75 feet off the desert floor. And it was alarming because um, it was fascinating, actually, um, because I immediately looked underneath. and It was impossible for somebody to be there. It's gated there. But besides that, I tried to take everything in mentally because even though I had been working with video, my video camera was downstairs. And you will hear people say over and over when they have an experience like this that they don't want to move. They, I, I tried to take everything in. I was in awe and wonder and uh, the size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. I call them an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. The light was self contained. And it was a uniform amber color throughout, just beautiful, very different than anything I'd ever seen. And it didn't glare at all. Everything else out there glared. And as far as the shape, interestingly enough, from day one, I always said that they looked like an egg on its side. They were oval shape. And an egg doesn't really describe it because they were symmetrical. But now we have Navy pilots coming forward with their videos. And calling these things either tic-tac or lozenge shape, and it was more like a lozenge, where it was like, you know, a little bigger in the middle in the middle than on the sides. But at any rate, that, that is another little interesting aside. At any rate, um, as I'm watching these, there was one on top and two closely aligned underneath. I thought, if I don't get a picture of this, no one's going to believe it. And I collect our beautiful sunsets. I have like six books of sunsets uh, that, that are just amazing. And I, have a, I had a very cheap Canon and camera in my closet, and I go running for it. Uh, and I tell my husband, I'm, I've got to take a picture of this. And he calls me back. He says, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as we both stood there in utter amazement, the top orb, without budging from the other two, started to dim it's, it. it it's, it's difficult to describe in, in logical terms, but it was like shrinking mm-hmm. very, very slowly, mechanically, as if there was an intelligence behind it, just getting very slowly smaller and smaller, like, like it was cloaking. I didn't know what cloaking was at the time, but going back and, and giving it a word, it felt like it was cloaking. And even after it disappeared, we could still feel that it was still there. Where did it go? I stepped out on the balcony, got a quick shot of the two lower orbs, and you'll see them on the Phoenix Lights Network photo page, and immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. And as intently as I was watching these two lower orbs, and I did not admit this to a scott until after the mass sighting two years later, but it felt like something was watching me. And going through my mind, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, just like the top one did, mechanically. And, and something told me to take a picture, and I did. I took a quick picture, and which was the only one that turned out at the time, but it was amazing because I actually caught the left bottom orb half-disappeared. You can see it right there in the picture. And one still there. But I didn't know who to show it to. I knew nothing about the topic. I knew no one who was into it and wondered for two years what this advanced technology was doing outside our bedroom window. And didn't have time to really look into it. But lo and behold, two years later, and this is where it really gets interesting, two months before the mass sighting, I'm lying in bed, and and usually when we're in the bedroom, anything that pops up out there, whether it's lights or uh, haboobs like dust storms or a fire in the distance or whatever, we get to see, and I notice that there's three giant amber balls of light, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is January uh, 22nd, and I thought, wait a minute, they're amber, they're in a line formation, equidistant from each other. They're hovering for minutes, strangely similar to 95. And I watched each one slowly implode, like they were shrinking from right left and they were gone i mentioned it to my husband and he actually didn't want to talk about the closed sighting he was inside i was outside and we can if we have time we'll get into the possibilities there but at any rate he didn't want to talk about it and i made mention of these other lights and he said do i still have to go to work tomorrow i mean he just didn't want to hear about it the next night he was at a medical board meeting and it's interesting how you know different people react to these things some people can't deal with it some people don't want to deal with its topic and that's okay everyone in their own time but now there's data to actually look at as you mentioned and um you know i hope people do but at any rate the next night he was at a medical board meeting and i noticed the same three lights in an equidistant line are now in front of south mountain out of the sliding glass door window and I thought, okay, enough. I'm getting my video camera, and I ran downstairs. I get outside just as I'm ready to shoot. i got about 18 seconds' worth, and the battery went dead, and it was charged. So I go in. It's about 8 o'clock. I hook up the battery. I go outside. They're gone. About a half hour later, 830, my husband comes up the drive, and we're pretty high on the mountain here. And I go outside. I said, remember I told you about the three amber orbs? Far west last night. Well, about a half an hour ago, they were right in front of South Mountain. And as I'm pointing in that direction, they reappeared in the same spot. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I got to get a picture of this. So I ran upstairs. And again, I don't believe in coincidence anymore because in video, the lights look very different than in real life. They're much smaller, they're white, they flicker. In 35 millimeter, they look much more like the real deal and they can be analyzed because they're in the negative. But at any rate, I get out on the balcony. I'm just ready to shoot the three. Suddenly, six lights in a massive span, over a mile wide, equidistantly spaced, pop up over the three. I was shaking not having an explanation for 95. It was like, whoa, what is this, a mothership or a fleet? And I kept clicking away, thank goodness. And if you look at those pictures on the photo page, the first one is wavy, because I was shaking, okay? The second one is amazing, and to me is a smoking gun, because it it looks like there's five lights with one in the biggest in the middle, like a V, with two underneath. Well, two months later, during the mass sighting, when at least 10 to 20,000 people saw this, there were thousands that reported five lights in a V with two trailing lights. Well, the picture is right there, two months before the mass sighting of the same exact thing. Then, as I'm watching this, things seem to turn, and that picture is also on the photo page. Well... I have to say, it was unnerving, and I figured by the time I got up in the morning, the next morning, I I said to myself, there must be a logical explanation for this, I'll just hunt it down. Somebody's got to know what these lights were, it was massive. So I called around, finally, finally found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport, they were very forthcoming initially, and then they got shut down. But they were excited that I saw the lights. And, and, um, and one of them was a meteorologist, and he got on the phone, and he's a really low-key guy. And he said, Did you see those three lights that were at 8 o'clock last night, and then the six lights popped up at 8.30? I said yes, and he was amazed that I had seen them at a distance. He was excited. And he said they looked on radar. Now, here's where it's really important, data, because they shared with me, and there was a whole group that saw this. The night before that, these lights popped up over Class B restricted airspace. There is a 30 mile radius around the center of the airport. Anyone that goes into that airspace must call into the tower to report that they're coming in that airspace, especially a thousand feet altitude. That these were no one called, so they got alarmed at eight o'clock. They looked on radar for the three that popped up, did not show up on radar, and then they disappeared. When they popped up again, and there were six of them. Over the same area at 8.30, they looked on radar, did not show up on radar, and then they got worried. And they took their high-powered binoculars to look, and in their own words, they described it as six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide, that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite Mm -hmm. see what these lights were attached to, or had a force field in between them, holding them in rock-solid Information, which you would also hear from thousands of people two months later and the meteorologist chimed in and said one of them all of a sudden the whole thing turned as a unit against the wind okay that's really important too and then that's, elevated Dr. Slowly Kintai, let's
0: let's, uh, <coughs> let's pause right here this is uh so interesting but I've got to take a top of the hour break here so let's uh let's pause this right here And we're in the chronology, we're about two months in front of the March 13th, 1997 sighting. So we're talking about January. So there's stuff going on. You just heard Dr. Kitai talk about something that was already seen that was about a mile wide. And uh, I think in your documentary movie, Dr. Kitai, you've got a couple of examples of what a Boeing, 747 looks like compared to something that's a mile wide
4: (laughs) well we're going to get into this and there were sightings that were much bigger than that and by the way before you take your break the air traffic controllers ruled out every conventional aircraft balloons chinese lanterns flares even um, uh, skydivers with lights they ruled out every single possibility they were true unknowns from day one
0: the website that we're looking at that I'd encourage you also to look at folks is thephoenixlights.net. I'm Scott Colborn with our special guest, Dr. Lynn Kitai, who's devoted a lot of her adult life to helping us understand what happened as well as some of the implications on perhaps the, the why and how it connects with each one of us. Jim and Scott here, Dr. Kitai on the phone, and you guys and gals, We are Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Scott Colborn here with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We'd love to have you donate to KZUM. If this conversation is stimulating as it should be, consider supporting KZUM Radio. Our phone number is 402-474-5086. Or you can donate online at kzum.org. So Dr. Kitai, thank you for allowing me to do that break here. We were talking in earnest about about roughly January 1997. So events happened several years earlier, and then events were happening several months before this big sighting. Uh, you've got pictures. I'm on your website right now looking at the pictures. And um, Jim Dilatoso is a uh, photography and computer expert. I've seen your documentary and and listened to Jim. He can't explain these. He can't explain these.
4: And neither can maybe optical physicists, and and Dr. Bruce McAbee was one of them, and and University, University of Arizona, uh, the head of the optical science department took great interest in this, as well as the Brooks Institute of Photography, uh, the dean of students at the time, and, and on and on. There is so much more to this story. In fact, I'm very excited that I'll be sharing more of the consciousness aspect, which um, i uh you know, I hope we have time for today,
0: uh What's November
4: sixth to the eighth at the um uh at the conference in Laughlin with uh with Paula Harris. So I hope people look that up on my Phoenix Lights Network uh pages and uh and join us there. But one one little aside I think you might find interesting, Scott, and again this is another little coincidence and mm-hmm. it's uh, to me an integral part of the whole Phoenix Lights picture. Is six months before the mass sighting, and I will get to the mass sighting in a second because that's really important. But six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program at the Gila Bend, G I L A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is very sacred ground. And again, if you go to the photo page, that first picture there will show you South Mountain at a distance is on the left, right, south of the airport, and a few miles back on the right is the Astraya mountain range and their sacred ground is in between those two mountain ranges and if you look at the picture you'll see mm-hmm. where south mountain and the australia's intersect well after the mass sighting and i don't talk to outsiders but i helped the principal out and i gave him a call and i said you know uh, i know that i was there six months ago i said Um, I've been looking at some pictures that I have and it seems that these anomalous aerial phenomena keep popping up in that area where South Mountain and the Australia's intersect. Did anybody there happen to see strange lights on March 13th? And he starts to giggle. And I said, (laughs) is that funny? And he says, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. I had no idea. It's Mm -hmm. part of their culture and indigenous cultures worldwide that... Uh, openly, Not only uh, state that they believe that there are other intelligences that come to visit us, these orbs, they feel uh, many of them are ancestors or spirit world coming to give them knowledge and comfort and uh, inspiration. And I have to admit, Scott, I've certainly been inspired to do this. I would have never chosen to do this. But on the other hand, he said, the is, that's how it got its name. It means star in Spanish, gateway to the stars. And they also believe that there is a gateway or portal in that area. And I always say, you know, I, I, look at the data. It speaks for itself. And if you look at my pictures time and time again, that's exactly where these phenomena keep popping up. So I'll let others make that conclusion if they want to. But anyway, that's what they believe. in, and, and even the Hopi here in arizona have protocols to invite these phenomena in and that is such a, a a really important aspect of this whole thing that they have been seeing these things for centuries there are petroglyphs drawings etched out in stone that are almost identical to what my husband and i saw outside our bedroom window someone found um these three orbs in a in a uh pyramid formation triangle formation anyway that that is just an interesting aside that um also we can get into if we have time but i wanted to get to the
0: dr i'm gonna i'm gonna be at uh, paula harris's event in laughlin and uh, i will be um helping paula by hosting a <clears throat> a ex- extraordinary experiences um, group that's going to meet Sunday morning, and uh, mm-hmm. if you'd like to take part in that, this is primarily for people that have had close experiences, even on board sure, experiences. I that. But mm-hmm. the the consciousness aspect that you alluded to is so important. Oh yes, that's what that's what Paula is all about. So I'm going to do a couple exactly. of things here. Exactly,
4: exactly. I love it. I love it because half the book actually. The first half is about the Phoenix Lights, because I really wanted to get out how the story unfolded, which I hope to, to continue right now. But the other half, and, and I will allude to that before we end our conversation, um, is the very profound consciousness uh... The transformation that happened in real-time and long-term yep. to witnesses Um which i'll get to in a second but if we fast forward to march 13th because i want to squeeze in as much as i can of how the story unfolded because it really is fascinating to this day Um it's still unfolding um, In the meantime, I wasn't the only one that was seeing these things. There were other people. In fact, uh, Steve Blonder, who invited MUFON up to his balcony on March 13th because he had been seeing them and documenting these lights on film, actually filmed an arrowhead. It's phenomenal. It's about five lights. And these lights, I mean, you can see right there, the data speaks for itself. These lights are attached to something or have a force field in between but getting back to march 13th as i mentioned there is so much mis- and disinformation what the media picked up on was between eight and ten when most people were outside looking up at the sky at the hale bob comet which was very clear in the northwest sky but they also got a glimpse of mile and Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, a couple years ago announced that from his data, all these years, from 20 years of data, concluded that one of these objects was eight miles Wide, And we do have other witnesses who would describe them to two or three miles wide at least. So, I mean, that's mind-boggling in and of itself. But it wasn't just orb formations, and it wasn't just a couple hours. The sightings on March 13th actually began. The first report we have is daylight sightings in Arizona at 3 p.m five o'clock hour in New Mexico. So it wasn't just Arizona by Native Americans. They saw the same thing. Seven o'clock hour and continued in California and eleven o'clock hour we have two separate commercial airline pilots who saw one of the now I'm gonna add something new here maybe mile wide craft. It wasn't just orbs. There were actual craft with gunmetal bottoms, windows, people saw beings at the windows that went right over people's heads, and the the sightings continued all the way until 5:30 the next morning. A Boeing crew and I was actually told by a Boeing crewman himself, an elder elder guy, that said his whole crew came into Sky Harbor the next morning at 5:30 and saw one of these over mile wide craft cover their tarma, over their tarmac. Also, there was a call at three. The next morning, you said you saw the, um, the documentary, and we yes. have a, a bit of the recording uh, of an alleged crewman from Luke Air Force Base called the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle at 3 a.m. to report, very detailed, very professional, that jets, military jets from Luke Air Force were sent off to intercept one of these craft that was over 7th Avenue in Indian School, which is central Phoenix. And as they got closer and now I'm going to get into the technology here the lights started to dim, and as they got closer, the entire thing blinked out and disappeared, freaking yep. out one of the pilots who he said he helped out of his aircraft and that Luke was on lockdown. So they yep. knew what was going. they knew something was going on here. The, the fact is that these, the technology alone when we're talking to these massive, massive craft, and if you go on the GAP page G A P on the Phoenix Lights Network website, you'll see a 12-year study by the investigators of thousands of reports from National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Arizona, MUFON Mutual UFO Network, um, as well as uh, Francis Barwood, councilwoman Phoenix councilwoman, a uh, vice mayor. Francis Barwood was the only elected official who innocently asked for an investigation months later in May, and she was plastered by the media. I was so glad. I kept anonymous for seven years because there was so much ridicule and snickering, and we'll get to that, too, that I was very happy to just sit back and see how the story unfolded, and boy, did it. But the And, and also um, Village Labs. As you mentioned, Jim Delatoso uh, at the time owned a huge uh, computer lab that on the side, he had been analyzing from all over the world, these uh phenomena these orbs and, and and triangle formations from belgium and uk and russia and so forth which i had no idea by the way um and and the technology as i said when, when these craft actual craft and you if you look at the gap page you'll see two or more people had to see the same craft to be in the study and it concluded there were 10 different craft. And they look very, very different. In fact, there was a a mass sighting a month before ours in St. Petersburg, Russia, on the 19th of February, and a couple of civilians captured video and two of the different crafts that are on that GAP page they got video of one is a, is a V that has, every light has three lights, and another one was a triangle that had a light in the middle. I mean, it's amazing that they had the same <laughs> sightings that we did a month before. I'm sure most people have no idea of that. But the fact is that whether it was one craft that could morph or the perspective from where the person was standing or an actual parade is what the investigators concluded after 12 years of meticulously studying this data because there were so many things happening at the same time in different areas and even different states. So that's number one. Number two, the the technology itself, these craft glided at rooftop level. There were people that said they could have thrown a rock at it. It was so low, totally silent totally silent and some people saw these craft take off at blink speed without even dispersing the air others saw these craft split in two one of those is on the on the gap page and then shoot straight up other people saw these orbs detach from the main object go out into the environment and then redock with it later and interestingly if you go back to the 95 pictures and maybe we'll have time to go back to to talk about uh navy optical physicists. uh Dr. Bruce McAbee's analysis, which I will be talking about at the Laughlin Conference in uh, November, actually, the same exact phenomena, the line of light, is in the same exact location two years before the mass sighting disappearing, as I'm taking pictures of the close orbs disappearing. Mm -hmm. So is that what happened then? These orbs detached from there and came close? Why they would come close to our window is beyond me, but the fact is that the data speaks for itself. It's in the negative. Well, Let me, okay. let me, let me just jump that. in here. Go ahead,
0: I'm sorry. Let me Go just ahead. jump in here, because what you said sure. bears some reflection that these orbs appeared right outside your bedroom okay. window. So now I want to ask you why.
4: Well, that's a very good question that I've been asking myself for twenty five years. Um, but it is what it is. I have no idea, but it is what it is, and like I said, the native cultures feel that these the orbs are meant to inspire, so and I've certainly been inspired. So I don't know. Yes, it I, got, I leave that
0: to, if, to others. If we to if we only, I, I, if we only said that I need that, to do
4: what I'm doing. Get. Yeah,
0: if it only said that it got your attention. Oh yes. That was one of the the things that happened, you are an intelligent woman and you were a scientist. you're trained in making observations. And so this appears right outside your bedroom window and it gets your attention. Uh,
4: and by the way, if I didn't get pictures of it, thirty five millimeter, I wouldn't be talking to you right now, Scott, because that has enabled me after much, research into what they could be which is still unexplained um to be able to really talk about this with data data that cannot be explained mm. or denied and interesting just a, another little aside which is another little coincidence is they, as i mentioned these lights kept on appearing after january and my husband was getting a little annoyed with me so <laughs> i started ta- i started showing um the the video on pictures to my friends, asking them if they knew anybody that was connected or, or that knew about this stuff. And this is how close I was. A friend of a friend had a neighbor who had a friend who knew the past president of MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, which I had never heard of before. And I called him up. I said, look, I have a picture from 95 that I know is authentic, but I'd like somebody of credence to take a peek at it. And I'm also seeing these other lights, which, again, he hadn't heard about, but there were other people that were seeing them, too. He refers me to a field investigator for the following Wednesday who calls me on Tuesday to say that his the then state director wanted to be there, but his mom passed on Saturday. The funeral was Wednesday. Could we meet another time? And the only window of opportunity I had for like another two, three weeks was Friday morning at 10 o'clock. He said, fine. I knock on his door. He opens the door. The first thing he says to me, did you see the mass sighting last night? And I said, well, I saw something, like I told you that I, I saw two months ago. It seemed to be the, the same exact thing in the same exact location. In fact, I called the air and traffic controllers at Sky Harbor that I had been communicating with and they confirmed that it was the same exact phenomenon in the same location and they, a, a private pilot on approach to F- to Phoenix Airport and a commercial pilot who was departing actually said what the hell are these lights over me and i have video from last night he said great because nbc was coming to interview him in a half an hour i said whoa whoa i said i don't know what we're dealing with here if it's a hoax or military or whatever that doesn't matter it's not about me it's about the data and it's never been about me Scott. it's about the data and i said take a copy of the video share it with whoever i'm out of (laughs) here and i left well it's four o'clock that afternoon this is the next day i'm sitting in front of my tv and vcr to see if anybody's even covering it my video was plastered on every news station the big news and and, i mean that was the news and it was exciting to know that people were seeing what what we had seen by the nine o'clock news there were a couple other videos the arrowhead video which was also shot before 10 o'clock and then there were two Uh, boomerang videos which were shot after 10 Mm o'clock and they've been uh especially one of them has been under fire for being flares which we'll get to but at any rate it was very exciting that um here now finally people are seeing what what we saw and i just happened to walk into this guy's (laughs) house the morning after so that's another little coincidence anyway that following week i see on tv my video again is up there and they're interviewing this guy in Tempe near arizona state university who's this big authority it happened to be jim Delatoso. and at that and he's showing these pictures from all over the world of the same exact phenomena and that really blew me away scott because i had no idea not only about this phenomenon, but it was happening worldwide and from that day on i started keeping an intricate journal i really did push my whole medical career aside to try to find a logical explanation. And every day I was trying to learn about the phenomena, the history, which is a vast history, which which would be a whole other program. From the time human doc- documentation started, very similar phenomena in a Sumerian writing and in india writing and um and then we you can fast forward and you talk about even in the Bible the ezekiel's wheel and uh then then you have the these things in um Belgium, well, even before that we have World War II with the Foo fighters, the same exact thing, these amber orbs around each aircraft that each side thought the other side had this advanced technology, and it wasn't until after the war everybody found out nobody did and and then we have the belgium sightings in uk and russia and so forth fascinating fascinating and other countries are much more open to these phenomena as being otherworldly
0: dr key anyway, tie ni- in dr key i'm sorry in 1991 sorry? <coughs> i was driving home from my my bookstore and i was at nebraska highway 2 and uh, approaching South 13th Street. I'm going uh, westbound on Nebraska Highway 2, and I'm in my, my Jeep. On my right, up on the hill, is the uh, Nebraska State Patrol main building, Nebraska Department of Roads, their, their building. And over the Nebraska State Patrol building, I see a triangle of lights now the building is over a football field in length this triangle is way over that length it appears to be about two to three hundred feet above the roof and each of these three corners is a bright light that is not directional but it's bright in terms of a sideways radiance and going Mm -hmm. off into the darkness from these three points of light I could make out structure that looked Mm -hmm. like it was connecting each of these three points it looked like because I grew up in the 50s it looks like a kid's erector set metal Mm I-beams or girders and so I'm slowing my car down. I'm bobbing my head around to make sure it's not my running lights reflected in the window. It's not the right. lights over the highway. These three points of light stay right exactly above that building. So now I'm in front of the building and I'm probably maybe uh, 200 yards away. Um, I pull off on the shoulder. I bend down, and take one more look I can see these three bright points of light above the building and I jump out of my Jeep and I stand up on the shoulder and I look and they're gone. Mm. And I yep. stand there for a couple of minutes until I realize that there are cars going by two feet away at 50 miles mm. an hour. It's dangerous. Okay. I better get, <laughs> get my car moved. I get back in All the right. Jeep, I bend down, no, they're no longer visible. So. I drove behind the Nebraska State Patrol building into a residential neighborhood, stopped in an intersection, parked right in the middle, got out, and I stood for about 30 minutes looking at the sky over this building. And uh, puffy clouds drifting overhead, lots of night, clear sky. And Mm -hmm. so.
4: What did you think?
0: Well, again, it, it certainly got my attention. Uh, And I I realized that what I had seen uh, was something that I couldn't prosaically, naturally explain. And I I want to dovetail this now into an excellent page you've got on your website, thephoenixlights.net, where you talk about myths. People saying, okay, well, the the lights Um, could have been ABC. So... Let's spend about five minutes before my bottom-of-the-hour break, and let's talk about some of the myths.
4: Well, if I I, I hope we can get the, the story out there, because I know it's it's a little bit longer, but sure, we can talk about whatever you would like to talk about. Because the, the one thing that was amazing, I have to tell you, Scott, is that after these thousands and thousands of people saw something right over their heads, we have a, a new witness who just came forward, an RN, who was underneath the, the craft mm-hmm. when a light was like a street light was right near him, and he saw like a skin underneath the craft, mm-hmm. which he described. And in the giant well, uh, like a canister, which our a pilot also described, he saw what he describes as like lava coming down very, very slowly. He thought it was going to come down and burn him. And then before it hit the bottom of the, uh, of the, the light shaft, it actually shot up again. And then it started. Co- I mean, the descriptions from people were just unbelievable, and yet there was no investigation, <laughs> no explanation for months. And we can we can get we can get back to that if, you, if we can after the break.
0: Yeah, but so so uh, a myth that uh, should be readily disputed is that these were simply flares. Well,
4: I was going to get into that. That, that, that. How that came up is very, very interesting, because, again, there was no explanation, no investigation, and as I mentioned in May, innocently, the uh, former Phoenix uh, Councilwoman Vice Mayor didn't see it, but so many of her constituents were calling, Mm -hmm. why isn't there an investigation, why isn't there an explanation? Suddenly, after nothing, and I mean nothing, Per months, I mean, when they were asked, they would say, "What? Something happened on March thirteenth, and there was like a little teeny thing in the in the back of the newspaper." Um, <clears throat> suddenly, there was a on June eighteenth, nineteen ninety seven, front page USA Today article that opened our sighting to not only other people outside of Arizona who hadn't heard about it. But to international scrutiny. And we didn't have social media in those days. And yet, overnight, it went viral. By the next morning, it was on every morning news show. Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, it was just unbelievable. And by late morning, we get this public announcement that then uh, Governor Fife Symington was calling a, an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to divulge the culprit of the lights over Phoenix, quote unquote. And people took him seriously, and he comes marching out, one of his aides, with a giant alien head costume and made it a mockery of it. It was oh, really disconcerting, especially for parents who were children who saw something two, three miles wide, and he's making a joke out of it. Well, that really set me off, too, I have to tell you, because then I started calling every military base, and I tried to get up as high as I could to find out what they knew. And they were more curious about what I had documented, which I did not share details with any of them, <laughs> than giving an explanation for it. In yeah. fact, in, the, in my book, I mentioned one of the conversations. One guy says to me, uh, and I think it was a lieutenant, says, Um, well, the, the only ones that know who did this was God and whoever did it. I mean, that was his answer, okay? They were just as curious. Suddenly, I get a call, and I'm going to get back to your answer. I get a call. A question. I get a call from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard, a month later, they must have been frantic because when people came here from all over the the world, as soon as they interviewed the witnesses, their their, their reports were so detailed, so heartfelt, that they, too, were saying, why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? Suddenly, I get a call, and the only hard evidence, whoever came up with this was brilliant. The only hard evidence they had, they could blow off people's stories but they couldn't blow off the handful of videos from that night. And I get a call on July 24th from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. She says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled because I was looking for any logical explanation. She says, do you believe that nobody ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard? And the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird, which I later found out means diversionary tactical maneuvers in military terms. So I have no doubt that they may have been sending off flares. But there isn't one person, not one person I have talked to since, that described what flares do. But she says, that must be what some people saw. And I said, wait a minute. When was the Maryland Air National Guard in town? She says, March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She said, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She says, absolutely not. I said, well, I have not only witnessed with my husband, but I have 35 millimeter photographs that prove that the same exact phenomenon was in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting, confirmed the next morning in January and the morning after the mass sighting as appearing over class B restricted airspace, a thousand feet altitude. And she says, you never told me that. And then I said, besides, you're trying to tell me, and by then I'd educate myself to anything logical, including military flares, that military illumination flares that are dropped from planes on a parachute and fall haphazardly with the wind cannot keep a formation that drift and drop and have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and are meant to illuminate the area around it, which, again, not one person described that all the true unknowns. traverse the entire state in a rock solid equidistantly spaced rock mile wide formation for hours and she says uh, i have a call coming in i'll get back to so
3: <laughs> i'm still waiting
4: guys <laughs> i'm still waiting 23 years later anyway the next day of course in the paper strewn across the top the phoenix lights were flares okay which was which was a color i have to tell you i mean that really set me off and interestingly enough Three years later, and not really put a lid on things, but I continue doing my research. And three years later, Councilwoman Frances Barwood was running for Secretary of State in 2000 to get answers for the Phoenix Light, even if it's just a public safety issue, and asking for a reenactment, which was brilliant. Because we get an announcement right before the third anniversary that three Air National Guards were coming into town to show everybody the Phoenix Lights. Now, whether they thought it would confuse the issue or we forgot or whatever, it was a travesty for them. It was a joke. Talk about a joke. And if you go to the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network website and scroll down a little bit, you'll see a block that says AZ Family 3. Uh, and they actually did a wonderful report. You can see exactly what they deployed. I mean, they, their flares could not keep information. formation. They, they actually did an upside down V Um, And they fell apart immediately, had huge smoke trails, just what flares do. To this day, the Phoenix Lights have never been recreated or explained. And the craft that people saw, and I'm talking credible, credible people that actually saw gunmetal on the bottom of these crafts, have never been ever addressed. So you know, take that to the bank. <laughs> that's that's another
0: piece of data. Let's take also our bottom of the hour break here, and, and I'm going to remind oh. folks that you're going to be in the Scottsdale area on March 15th, Sunday, at the Scottsdale, Arizona Harkins Shea Cinema, and you'll be the featured speaker there. The documentary movie will be shown. There'll be a Q and A, uh, and more information on. Dr. Kitai's website, and that's easy to find, thephoenixlights.net. Dr. Kitai is also going to be at the Laughlin, Nevada Conference that is November 6th through the 8th, and that's starworksusa.com. More coming up with Dr. Lynn Kitai and the Phoenix Lights. I'm Scott Colborn. You're listening to... Listener-supported, that's you guys and gals. Listener-supported, non-commercial, independent radio. Scott Colborn and Jim Shorney with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's great to have you with us. Support this intriguing, interesting, inspiring conversation and make your donation to listener-supported KZUM Radio. It's easy to find k z u m dot org and make your donation. We appreciate that, Dr. Ketie. we've got about ten uh twelve minutes so
4: okay, i'm gonna squeeze in a lot here because there's some really yeah. interesting things that that have happened even recently um uh, if you go to the right after the tenth anniversary and i want to get into the consciousness thing, just introduce it for for a minute at the end um right after right. Uh, after the 10th anniversary, for whatever reason, our former Governor fife Symington bravely came forward to say that he actually saw one of these crafts. He witnessed one of these mile-wide crafts, and as an awarded military pilot, it definitely was not flares, but in his own words, as other countries have said worldwide, it was otherworldly. Mm. Very interesting that that happened, for whatever reason, but it certainly took it to the next level, to have an elected official actually admit that not only did he see it, but he also uh, referred to it as otherworldly. Then we fast forward to a couple years ago, and uh, I don't know if your listeners are aware, they probably are if they're up on this, but there was a front page New York Times article, a leak, that came out about Harry Reid and how he funded the last few years before A $22 million study of pilots and military sightings. And that really, talk about opening a door. (laughs) It has exploded ever since with the Phoenix Lights because people look for the most credible... Mass sighting, and and I've done, uh, oh my goodness, uh, since, and I've done them before, but uh, since I've done at least a half dozen Travel Channel and History Channel, and I have one coming up for CW, and uh, we had one on Discovery, the Contact Show, which was fabulous just just a few months ago. But at any rate, a couple years ago as well, about a year and a half ago, remember I told you about a private pilot that the air traffic controllers had told me had called into the tower Mm -hmm. on approach to Sky Harbor? Mm -hmm. Well, that pilot. Who, so, by the way, I mention in the original book, because I found it very credible that pilots had called in to to report the sighting over Class B restricted airspace. I mean, that confirmed it, right? The private pilot turned out to be Kurt Russell, the actor. Albie Duran. Yes. And if you go on the... Um, homepage and also on the news page, you'll see a tremendous UK article, a UK report that he did, a live report uh, that was televised, uh, which is really, really interesting. And one of the aspects also uh, that I address in the book is that he forgot about it. He and his son, who saw it, his son saw it first. The the same exact phenomenon that I was photographing at the same exact time, the six points of light in a V, and then when I got out there, it turned to three endpoints, just as you described, Scott, okay, what you saw. But at any rate, um, they forgot about it. And like a couple years later, he walks into Goldie Hawn, who was watching a UFO show, and they mentioned the Phoenix Lights, and he thought, whoa, why do I know that? It was like a Richard Dreyfus moment. And the, the rest, people, please watch it. It's a really, really a uh, great interview, and he looked at his log, and, and indeed it was him. And it, does, it did happen. That happened to a number of other people, including a psychiatrist with his family that was coming up from Tucson to Phoenix for a swim meet. They didn't talk about it for months until they saw something on TV, and then a, a floodgate opened. That's another interesting aspect, but what was really amazing to me, personally, is that a number of witnesses to the Phoenix Lights Mass sighting also had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. And, Scott, I did too. And obviously we don't have time to get into that, but I lay it all out in the book. I just let it all out there and let people decide for themselves. But the point is that when I learned that, it was like, whoa, could there be possibly a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, or unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with the experience. And lo and behold, once I started looking, I started finding university studies. at Dr. John Mack at Harvard and Dr. Kenneth Ring, a four-inch book at University of Connecticut and onward, not an idea laid out very simply in the book. Not only is the experience very similar, whatever the unexplained phenomena and i started calling them an up up unexplained phenomena because the after effect is so positive is so uh, an awakening an enlightenment a connectedness to the earth and to the universe and to ourselves that has never been felt before by this person that indeed it is an up and it transforms the person forever and it's no longer a belief It's a knowing, and we'll be talking about that at the uh, Laughlin uh, conference. But the, the other side of this as well is how the Phoenix lights affected people in real time and long term. You know, people ask me, why did they come? Well, number one, there has not been one, not one report in 23 years of harm, threat, abduction associated with the phoenix lights phenomena Uh, i can't speak for other things but i can about the phoenix lights which is very tempting telling in and of itself that people were in awe and wonder and curious nobody felt threatened at all no one um but but in fact if, if anything they felt i've heard people tell me over and over that they felt blessed but if you go back to the sighting itself we are so inundated, and we talk about this in the in the documentary, we are so inundated by threat, 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 and harm, harm, harm by Hollywood and movies, that uh, Dr. Uh, Gary Schwartz from the University of Arizona Consciousness Study Department says, how are you supposed to feel when you see something unusual like that? Well, children, because Independence Day movie was real popular six months before, and children were jumping up and down and up and down, when they saw this V coming towards them, Independence Day, Independence Day, but... As it came closer, a calmness came over everyone. A connectiveness to the phenomena that once it passed, they wanted to race after it. They wanted their parents to get in the car and chase it. In real time, there was a positive transformation. And long term, people changed their eating habits. Even my husband—he doesn't eat meat, okay—and uh, people went into the peace movement, went into the environmental movement. It changed people forever again it it wasn't a belief anymore it
0: was a knowing if we get people outside and start looking up it's been my uh, uh thesis that we're gonna see stuff my late friend jerry douglas had gone out to scotts bluff nebraska which is in the western part of the state dr katai <laughs> and he was seeing his mother he looked up his uh old childhood actually high school girlfriend and they still had an attraction one thing led to another and one night in the late 90s they're outside scotts bluff parked in a rural area and they are in the back of jerry's pickup truck jerry looks up and he sees that there is something that is blotting out A large portion of the night sky that's moving overhead slowly and so he quickly does some measurements at arm's length he notes the direction and this thing would have been between a half mile to a mile wide and it was moving at about 30 to 40 miles an hour which is way below Mm -hmm. any stall speed so he went home that night and told his mother. His mother the next day went to the beauty shop in Scotts Bluff to have her hair done. And the beautician is saying, oh my goodness, I gotta tell somebody, guess what my son and I saw last night. We had gotten home late and we live out in the country. We got out of the car, looked up and we saw, and she said, wait a minute, I'm gonna go outside and get my son, who's outside and have him listen to your report. So they were able to triangulate things Um, well, Dr. Key, go
4: ahead.
0: No, please. You you go ahead.
4: No, no, I I'm just going to interject here that you you brought up two really great points because number one, try to find out what date that was, if it was 97 and there was another sighting here, 98, but that would be interesting to find out if it was 97, uh, same time as the Phoenix lights. But the other thing is that people have asked time and time again, why isn't there more pictures, right? Well, in those days, We only had those big, clunky cell phones that did not have cameras in them. And who carries around a camera? Although there were some people who did that particular night because the Hale-Bob comet was very clear in the northwest sky and tried to take pictures of these massive objects, whatever they were, that, like you said, blocked out the stars. And it was so black that the pictures did not turn out. So very interesting that you brought that up.
0: Uh, Dr. Keetai is going to be in the Scottsdale area on March 15th at the Scottsdale Harkins Shea Cinema. There's more information on her website about this event. The public is welcome. ThePhoenixLights.net And by the way, we've been sold out for the last
4: 14 years, so... Get your tickets early. It's already half sold out. Fantastic. um, We turn people away every year, which we hate to do. We moved it into the biggest theater last year and actually overflow into another theater. It was crazy nuts. But uh, half the big theater is already sold out. So please, please get your tickets early if you're in the neighborhood. Um, It is such a fun event. There's nothing like it because it's it's really a mainstream event, Mm -hmm. and people feel more comfortable coming to a movie. But once they're there... It, like, like our conversation, Scott, I mean, it opens people up uh, to, to really um, consider the possibilities because uh, of us not being alone in the universe. It certainly the Phoenix Lights mm-hmm. touched one person at a time, and I hope that our conversation and looking at the book and the documentary, and I also, for all ages, because I've been working on a curriculum, put together a 160-page graphic novel activities coloring book, of, that's just packed with information. We have the 10 crafts there to cover color. We have um, a graphic novel that goes to the Science Museum and History Museum to study these things, as well as 80 crop circles. And we have activities like word finders and crossword puzzles and sacred geometry. It's really fun because I, I wanted to give something in the hand of teachers to be able to work with students as well as students themselves, as well as parents and grandparents to have fun and learn and grow we have iconic historic pictures in there as well so it's really a trilogy of the of the book and the documentary and the uh, graphic novel activities coloring book that people can uh pick up and uh most of them they're all on, on amazon.com a number of them are, are in libraries as well um but please you know check it out and certainly the the website itself so thank you for for letting me share and for sharing that information so people can can actually look at the data and
0: uh, decide for themselves. Dr. Lynn Keetai is our special guest today. I'm going to look forward to your presentation at the Laughlin Nevada Starworks USA conference November 6th through the 8th. That's starworksusa.com and uh, I'll enjoy hanging out with you Dr. Lynn. So,
4: Absolutely. Uh, I really look forward to it and for you and all your audience keep looking
0: up. Thank you so much and all the best from us to you. Dr. Lynn Keitai, her website is thephoenixlights.net. I want you folks to think about this as we close the program down. Years ago, I had a guy that approached me at a lecture I was doing and said, what's the big deal about these UFOs? If they're real, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, let's turn that around and just have you think, what does it mean to have one or more craft that are over a mile wide fly down a corridor of Arizona on a night where people are outside looking up at the hale Comet. What does it mean for this mile-wide craft? Now, we couldn't do that in 97. We can't do it today in 2020. Just think about that. Dr. Lynn is a intelligent woman she's been thinking about this as there are so many of you that are listening this is really something to ponder what does it mean to each one of you again thanks very much to dr lynn Ketai for our, our uh, main guest today and jim shorty what are you doing for the rest of the weekend
1: oh i think this afternoon i want to do a little bit of shopping
0: it's going to hit about 60 degrees mm-hmm. here in lincoln close to it And uh, we've got a storm coming in again next week, but we're kind of up and down for weather. So this is Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Next week's guest is James Willis. He's re-released a book called Faith, Trust, and Belief, a Trilogy of the Spirit. Mm. Stay tuned for Beta Radio and more great programming here today at kzum radio if you've enjoyed the spirited enlightened conversation with our main guest dr lynn kitai please consider a donation and show your support for this sort of conversation because it's not free we got to pay the lights we got to pay the utilities and uh, we're about five thousand dollars away from our goal of forty thousand you can really help shorten that gap 402-474-5086, or online at kzm.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Scott Colborn, and until next week, Walk in Beauty.